Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversational show about people, their stories, and how they bring community to life. My guest today is the artist and health researcher, Dr. Mark Gilbert. This show is part one of my conversation with Mark Gilbert. The second part will air next week. Our conversation was recorded by Skype. Dr. Mark Gilbert graduated from Glasgow School of Art in 1991, and his work has been exhibited in galleries and museums in Europe and North America. In 1999, he collaborated with maxillofacial surgeon Professor Ian Hutchinson and his patients. Gilbert painted, drew, and photographed patients during illness, surgery, and recovery. This series, Saving Faces, was exhibited at the National Portrait Gallery in London. In a subsequent artist-in-residency at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska, Gilbert produced another series, Here I Am and Nowhere Else, Portraits of Care. Gilbert's interdisciplinary investigations have expanded and embody the emergence of clinical portraiture as a field, continuing to evolve as a source of innovation and inquiry at the intersections of ethics, art, health professions education, and medicine. Since 2015, as a fellow in the Faculty of Medicine at Dalhousie University, Nova Scotia in Canada, Gilbert's research has continued. Currently, he explores relationships among elders with dementia and their partners in care. Gilbert is currently working on a book, due to be published in the spring of 2020, sharing a series of drawings carried out by his late father, Scottish artist Norman Gilbert, as he sat drawing Pat, his wife of 65 years as she lay dying in a hospital bed of Alzheimer's-related illness. Mark, thank you for joining us from Canada via Skype today. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak to you. I wish it was near, nearer, you know, um, as might become apparent, Omaha has got a special place for me in, in, in my in my heart. So, um, so if it's, um, it's, good to, it's good to speak to you nonetheless, even though I'm so far away. Uh, well, thinking of places far away, uh, I, I wondered about starting with asking you about um, art school in Glasgow. And I, I wanted to ask when you were in art school in Glasgow, what, what did you imagine you would go on to do in that field? It's amazing. Yeah. So when I was at art school, I, I mean, I knew I'd kind of grown up with the art school. I don't know. You know, the art school in Glasgow was, you know, was a real in, is a real institution. Um, the building it was in was was unfortunately it was destroyed by a fire um, a couple of years ago. Um, that's a whole other story. But the actual the building is probably the most, you know, one of the most well known and sort of the most valued buildings, you know, and highly regarded. The city, you know, the city really did hold that building to. Um, to their heart, um, it was it was um, it was designed by Charles Rennie Mackintosh, who was a Glasgow um, architect. So you know, but growing up, so the art school was a was a big part of the city's life. But my parents were both artists. My my dad had they'd met at art school in the 1950s. My dad had carried on his own painting practice. My mum went into teaching, and ultimately actually became my teacher, my art teacher at high school. Um, so I grew up in a house where where art was always you know, where there was always a studio, where there was always art being created, where we were always, you know, holidays were always to places where there were, you know, where there were art galleries and so on and, and so on. Um, you know, so everything revolved around art. 
and going to the degree shows, going to the the end the end of the the sort of final degree shows at Glasgow School of Art and seeing, you know, even as a child, I used to go and see these degree shows and just be amazed and just think how amazing it was, you know, the, looking at the work that you'd be able to then go through the sketchbooks of the students. The students looked exciting, you know, it was just they were, everything about it. Um, I loved the idea of it. Um, you know, I love the idea, I think, more than any other notion of why make art and so on. So, and I think that probably then meant that actually once I ended up then, once sort of life called my bluff and I actually then got to go to art school, even with that background of the art, I think, you know, I had, I had all kinds of, um, I was incredibly listless at art school for really two and a half, maybe even three out of the four years I was there. And, and um, finally, I ended up in my final year at art school you know, realised I had problems and, you know, wasn't quite sure what direction I was going in and realised what I had to do was basically what I felt like I had to do was just go back to basics. And so ultimately then started just working from life, you know, um, working from the model and working in an incredibly laboured way, you know, suspending months on end on one painting. And so ultimately what that meant is that the only people that were able to sit for me were the only people that liked me enough to spend that amount of time with me. Um, so it meant my degree show was actually full of paintings of my mum and dad, frankly, and, um, you know, one or two others. Um, I was fortunate that when I left art school, then I, you know, I had a, actually, I'd made the right decision, you know, so I left feeling a lot better than I did than when I entered and was fortunate enough to kind of think that I could hit the ground running. But working in this incredibly narrow way, sort of existence that I've had over the last 20 years, 25 years, actually, working in the sort of medical context is something I would never have envisaged um, for multiple reasons. So so really for about 10 years after leaving art school, I worked in this incredibly narrow, sort of puritanical way, you know, purely just working, working from life. The paintings all, everybody in the paintings looked as if they were sort of, you know, mildly in, incarcerated. They all, there was a, the paintings all had a kind of slightly jaundiced view of the world. Do you think the art you were producing initially after college was a reflection of your own psychology or your feelings about the world at the time? I think that kind of perspective, this kind of slightly, um, this, this, as you say, I think it was a kind of aesthetic and a perspective. I guess it was. I had a, a fairly, you know, a, not necessarily a very optimistic view of things. Um, was, I think it was also partly, you know, it was influenced by, I think I, I have to kind of admit, by the artists that I liked, you know, so the artists that I was following were people like Francis Bacon, you know, Lucian Freud, um, others actually contemporary of theirs who aren't as well known. There was a, an amazing English-German artist called, um, he's still alive actually, called Frank Auerbach and so on. So this kind of, kind of turgid use of paint, kind of building up layer upon layer and you know, and the more you do that, then the paint loses its vibrancy, that loses its kind of its strength, really. And so you end up with these kind of very tonal, as I say, sort of turgid, rough paintings. Um, and I guess I kind of quite liked the idea of, of that, really. It, was, it seemed much more, um, I seemed more comfortable working within that field. But, it all, and, and it, you know, bear in mind, mentioned before my dad was an artist that couldn't have been more different from what he did which were highly colored decorative works as well so it was completely uh, different from what the type of art I'd grown up with. You talked about this anime during college and your initial artistic practice 
Did you feel any sense of needing to meet a particular standard set by your parents? Or did you feel any pressure from them, given they were accomplished artists in their own right? I don't, I, yeah, I don't know that that would be so much the case. I mean, they, they, although I don't think they went, they went for me going to art school because they knew what a challenge it could be. And I think when they heard that I chose to do drawing and painting, I think they nearly fainted because they knew very much how much of a challenge that was. You know, I think they'd have preferred if I did something like textiles, where I would have left with more skills than how to hold a paintbrush. Um, so, um, so no, I don't ever think you. So, although they didn't want me to do it, they were always, you know, I never, you know, they want, yeah, yeah, they still supported me in the decisions I made and things. So I don't think that was the, the issue. I think, um, you know, I just, I guess to a certain extent, I didn't know what to say, and even if I did know what I wanted to say, I, I wouldn't have known how to say it. I mean, it really was uh, a kind of, you know, really just trying to find your feet. Really, I think it was more that than being completely inarticulate. You know, I was always hankering, you know, seeking for something, something more than somehow I felt I was able to do it in the moment. And um, and so some of that might have been what you know what that was might have been something quite nebulous at different times. But it was a case of just, as I say, I think I used the term before listless, and it was a case of just trying to be able to find my feet. So this the the notion of kind of going back to basics and working just purely from the person in front of me, with everything that entails. You know, any help I needed in the making of the picture resided in the person in front of me. You know, so I wasn't having to do research. I haven't wasn't having to kind of, you know, work, you know, grasp fragments of imagination and things like that. You know, basically the secret of whether the picture was going to be good or otherwise was in the person in front of me. about um, this transition then to what I think has occupied you deeply and broadly for the last two decades, which is this interaction with Professor Hutchison, uh, his practice as a surgeon. How did that come about? What, what was the genesis of that? What ended up happening um, in the years prior, after leaving art school and prior to working in medicine, then as um, you know, I was working in this kind of in this kind of narrow way but I have to be able to say that what I was realizing as well while I was working is that although I was quite often working with people who I cared a great deal about you know and also bearing in mind it takes a certain amount of courage at the best of times to have your portrait painted um, and I was aware of the vulnerabilities of that for the model having said that I would you know I was working in a way that I would kind of insulate myself from the views of the model so if a model when I was judging or making judgments about whether a picture was good or otherwise or was working or not, um, 
what the model felt about the picture and how I depicted him or her um, wasn't an issue. So if they liked it, it didn't make it a better picture. And if they didn't like it, it didn't make it a bad picture. You know, I didn't relish when they didn't like it, but often they didn't like it. You know, I've had models, I used to have models in tears because they thought I'd, you know, denigrated them in some way and how I pictured them. I rarely took commissions because you were having to kind of take requests to fix noses or something like that. There was these kind of challenges that were happening, but I'd kind of sought, I'd kind of made this space for myself in a way that I could kind of continue to work, being cognizant of those vulnerabilities, but at the same time, not letting them guide, change the way I was working. At the same time, I was incredibly frustrated. I, you know, I was kind of doing these paintings of, you know, family and friends and, you know, people who were willing to, you know, very limited body of models who of people who were willing to spend that time with me um but i was always anxious that somehow again in this kind of nebulous sense kind of thinking you know i wish that the paintings were able to say more than than i felt that they did and it was things i cared about in politics and so on that i felt i wanted the pictures to to be able to address and i kind of looked enviously at the sort of art that was coming out of london and the young british artists you know the more conceptual artists and at that point it was people like damien hurst and um, so there's a whole bunch of artists who were working and, and getting a huge amount of attention really for shocking and for being controversial. And although I kind of never really wanted that, I still kind of looked enviously. I thought they still, I, I, I thought they had a lot of courage and I would be, I was kind of envious of that. So there was, all, there was a, a lot of dissatisfaction in my own painting practice, but I didn't know how to make the changes I felt that I needed. Um, and so I was incredibly fortunate that really, um, as I was in this kind of situation, kind of not knowing whether it was coming or going, that I got asked by Professor Ian Hutchison to come and work with him. And so he was a head and neck surgeon. I knew him socially because his wife had bought pictures in the past and so on. And so he had this idea of bringing in an artist just for maybe about six months to paint his patients before, during and after their surgery. So my initial reaction to the, or the initial conversation was a mixture of frankly, terror and um, huge anxiety, but with a kind of intrigue of how can we make this work? And then that's really it. You know, I can say why he wanted, his notions of why he wanted the pictures done initially, he kind of figured that the paintings would be shown in an accessible way, what was possible and what wasn't pos possible with modern facial surgery. He felt that it would be able to show the, you know, in an accessible way to the to the viewer that people who undergo surgery for most of the people I was working with had some form of facial head and neck cancer, um, but some of them had were trauma patients. Some had congenital disfigurement or facial difference. But he had he, he that would show the public at large that people who go through facial surgery for whatever reason carry on can carry on living fulfilled and active lives. And he had this kind of nebulous hunch that it might be beneficial or therapeutic. Um, and I thought he was incredibly naive with this kind of final notion he had, because I was aware of how painting somebody was an incredibly vulnerable thing. And I felt that I could be maybe focusing. Many people I was working with had, had extreme facial disfigurement or facial difference. And I felt that potentially what I might be doing is amplifying aspects of these people's lives that they would find upsetting. Um, so I was going in with all these 
anxieties and assumptions um, right at the beginning. And so I, I realised I had to address those before, you know, right from the get go. It's interesting to think about the difference between or, or the, the, the twinning, perhaps, of both the process of producing the work and its effects, as well as the outcome itself, which almost it, it feels like a fulcrum. It, it seems as if the outcome itself becomes almost tangential uh, to the process. Tell me about how how it went. Tell me more about the process. I realized that, that the detachment that I referred to earlier, you know, that I had with my models, I realized would be deeply inappropriate working with people who, again, rightly or wrongly, I assumed potentially may well be going through the most traumatic moments of their lives, um, or at the very least, who would be dealing with so much in their lives that um, they would be more vulnerable, vulnerable to having a portrait painted. What I realized I had to do was then change the way I related to the sitters. And so that was partly, as I, you know, as, as I've already said, was partly a consideration of the patients I was going to be working with. But I realized, and this is before I'd even started painting, I realized that the only way I was going to get, this was, this was as much to help me as it was to help them. I would need their reassurance, I guess is how I felt at the time. So this was a case that I realized I was going to need them as much as they might. I don't know. I thought that they would need me, but, you know, um, I was certainly going to need them to do more than just sit for a painting. You know, I was needing more from them um, as a reassurance because I was going then, you know, as I say, I had huge anxieties. I had huge. I can't overstate how much this was taking me out of my comfort zone in that as much that I had huge anxieties i was a dreadful hypochondriac I, I can joke about it but it was you know but it was it it was a thing i had massive you know so i had a real phobia against you know hospitals my i i lived with paralyzing fears of the thought of loved ones becoming ill and so on so and i'd never ever experienced you know i'd never been a patient and i never had to look after anybody really and, and prior to that. So it really was taking me right out of my comfort zone. And again, I think there was an element that actually, that made me intrigued. You know, I think I kind of valued and, you know, I, I realized how much this, how uncomfortable this was. And I think part of that discomfort was actually part of the attraction.
Are you able to describe the stages of emotional connection that emerge from the moments sort of before you begin uh, the process of painting all the way through to the end product and, and people perceiving this end result? How do you go through this process of both you and the sitter being willing to let down your guards a little bit, to be vulnerable, to show up for each other, despite the traumatic circumstances, when the stakes are so high, and yet take this journey together, building the trust as you go? Is this something you can describe? I can describe it. I, I can sort of describe maybe how it felt then or I can describe how it feels now and it's not that different but I'll, I'll sort of talk about you used the word trust that's fundamental the trusting relationship is is huge now I never realized this at the beginning I, I do you know more and more I realize that the power of the paintings and the impact that the paintings may have on the participants um, is as much to do with that relationship as it is to do with the actual image that's something I never necessarily um, realized or anybody necessarily realized at the beginning. Um, but it became more and more apparent to me. So initially, the relationship was something that I was a means to an end at the beginning. I realized I had to do it just to get through it. It's now, now having worked in this kind of area for so long, it still is as important, but it's not, it's, it's not just a means to an end. It really is, it is the main thing. Um, and so any painting I do is a record of that relationship. You know, when you look at a portrait, even a portrait of an individual, and again, I never necessarily realised that, you, you know, when you look at a portrait, it's not just a picture of a person, it's a picture of a person being looked at. So the minute you realise that, I think it becomes a much more, you know, a portrait can become something much more exciting and much more dynamic. You know, when you start to draw somebody, there's a, you know, when I'm working with a patient, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of conversation, quite often far more conversation than there is silence. But there comes a point where the silence, there is silence. You know, so when you start to draw somebody or paint somebody, especially somebody that hasn't sat for a picture before, there's an instant intimacy. Um, and there's a vulnerability there. And the vulnerability, I'm not, you know, the vulnerability is on both sides of the easel. You know, but the, you know, I'm acutely aware of the vulnerability of the person I'm working with. Um, and that silence, it's amazing how the silence is something that we actually, on the, on the whole, becomes something that's very comfortable. Because, you know, a silence can be, you know, it can be, you know, a silence can be all kinds of things. It can be threatening, it can be burdensome, um, awkward. But, you know, the silence during the, the portrait making phase is an important part of it. And you, it's a, it wasn't until I was actually working with patients who were actually unable to speak that I realized not only that, that the silence was something that was comfortable, but the amount of communication that still happens in that silence is amazing. Um, and again, that was, you know, that became much more apparent to me when I was then working with two people while I was working in Omaha, one gentleman who'd had his whole, his tongue and voice box and whole lower jaw removed. And so he, he was unable to speak. And then I worked with a, a marvelous gentleman um, named Roger, who was in the last few months of his life living with um, ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease, and was unable to speak for him, you know, was able to communicate verbally at all. Um, but I was amazed, it was a real privilege to be able to spend time 
with 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 um, both of them to learn the richness that can still and the, the amount of communication back and forth that still happens in those silences. But all of this is the big challenge for me is is to maintain and sustain a sense of sort of curiosity and so not going in there trying to jettison any kind of um, assumptions preconceptions and so on and basically and and it's 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 it's, it's my job is one of listening it's i mean it's not it has parallels with you know with what you do i think with what you're doing right now is that you're i'm listening i'm listening to the stories that they tell me they're listening to the stories i tell them drawing is a form of listening as well if you want to put it like that you know you're, you're searching if you're doing the drawing properly you should be you know, i'm not just portraying i'm not just copying somebody i'm trying to respond to the person and make sure that the marks i make are a genuine are as genuine and as authentic response to the person in front of me as possible and out of all that maintaining and it's a challenge to maintain and sustain that sense of curiosity not to fall back on what you already know or habits and so on but out of that comes a genuine collaboration and the relationship and the reflections that are a fundamental part of the artist's work and the sitter's experience um, and as a result of that relationship what we do together making the pictures i think we we end up we both, both artist and sitter, um, we end up, we're, we're stronger for it. We're enriched, we're, you know, even at times I think you, we, I can say that the experience of having your portrait painted is empowering. And I know from my experience that the experience of working with many of the people I've worked with, making the portrait is empowering. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. My guest is the artist and health researcher, Dr. Mark Gilbert. Our conversation today is being recorded by Skype. parallel question for you and then for your sitters but what are the effects what are the outcomes beyond the tangible painting 
what are the effects on, first of all, on the sitter? And not just perhaps in a psychological and emotional sense, but are there, are there also medically clinical responses that, that you would comment on? And then we'll turn to the effect on you too. So focusing first on the sitter, what, what are the effects on them? You know, one of the challenges is that you always, it's not a challenge, but one of the things you obviously, as, a, as, a, as an artist working in this medical context, in the same way as a physician has to try and remind themselves as well, is, um, you know, everybody's different. Um, having said that, there are patterns and, and and so on that you can start to recognise. So it's amazing how, you know, you know, obviously there's a I spend a great deal of time with the people I'm working with. So quite often spending more time, well, more often than not, actually spending far more time with them than maybe they, they spend with their doctors or their surgeons. Um, the pictures that are generated many will you know it's amazing how positively the people i'm working with respond to the images and then how then many also then use the pictures as a means of engagement to generate conversations that may not have happened otherwise um, it helps them it gives them a focus something to be able to reflect on that helps them um the participants the the you know patients and or if it's a caregiver as well to be able to reflect on their own experience and generate reflections that sometimes might be challenging, but on the whole is are, has is a positive. You know, the research, the analysis, and so on of the studies that we've done have shown that it, on the whole it's a positive thing. Um, amazing processes that you know again I never had anticipated that say for instance when somebody comes to sit for me in my studio there's lots of portraits of other patients that are maybe dotted hanging on the walls and so on. And many of the participants that I work with, they maybe don't meet each other at all. And if they do, it will be once the study's over, once it's been exhibited or, and, and so on. But they feel a sense of, they feel less lonely, you know, and, and you know, loneliness can be such a, is can, you know, especially with people who are living with cancer or terminal disease, they can feel incredibly isolated and lonely. Um, but just purely by, you know, the, many of the participants talk about that just purely looking at the portraits of the other participants assuage that sense of loneliness they feel a sense of community a sense of the just looking at the other pictures generates a sense of fellowship um this is all happening even just during the picture making phase you know so the the results can be just as powerful you know the exhibition phase where it allows the participant to be able to see how other people respond to their portrait. Um, and on the whole, the participants do feel that the pictures are, you know, are, are a testament to their experience. And if not just to their experience, then certainly a testament to our relationship. Um, and I think that's why that they tend to respond to much more positively than when I was working in Glasgow, offending people left, right and centre. You know, and I think, but so I do think that, that shift that I had to make, that I felt intuitively that I had would have to make working, um, you know, and so this emphasis on the relationship being fundamental, not just in relation to the welfare and the care of the person I'm drawing, but to my own well-being, was uh, is has means that there's a much the relationship, the picture making art set relationship is one that's much more rich. And I think much more um, constructive, and that feeds into everything that happens after that. But there is that thing, unlike other forms of research, you do end up with this sort of permanent, tangible 
record, aesthetic record, which then is able to then, you know, through exhibition, is able to live and testify to the the individual or to that artist-centered relationship long after we've all gone. And so then, you know, looking at how the pictures then speak to, you know, the public at large, or how can the, you know, and a great deal of the work I'm doing is trying to integrate it into curriculums and into medical curriculum, into um, nursing curriculum, into the health sciences. The pictures, because we have these pictures, these collections, we're able to then evaluate and analyze, you know, how best to optimally use the images um, in these kind of spheres. Um, and so again, that's something that I think the patients find purposeful people I work with, they find it purposeful. Touching back on, say for instance, an example would be Roger, who I mentioned, who ha who I painted, who had ALS. By the time I was working with him, there was virtually nothing that he was able to do for himself. But I, we know, I, we, you know, I also painted his wife as well as part of that project. You know, that him sitting for the portrait at that point of his life was, was virtually the only thing that he could do of purpose at that point. You know, so at a time when he was able to do so little, he realised that sitting for his portrait was serving a purpose. That it would, was a part. It was it'd being able to communicate aspects of his own experience and be able to communicate potentially to help others as well. So that was an incredibly, I think, powerful thing for him to be able to do. And and as you know, as I say, it makes it all the more privileged that I was able to spend that time with Roger and with others like him at that point in their lives um, and at that collaboration was something that even somebody, you know, that people like Roger could find purpose in. What about you? Because you're describing um, something that sounds immensely intimate, immensely purposeful for the people taking part and then the people subsequently viewing the exhibitions. Inherently though, for many of the people you're working with, they're either in trauma that may come to an end or they're in trauma and they may be towards end of life stage. And you've been doing this for two decades and, and um, growing and identifying patterns and seeing this as a, an endeavor. But nonetheless, you've also referenced some personal impacts of this project. Certainly in the early days, you mentioned hypochondria and, and, and fears of injury to your loved ones. Yeah. Um, how have you been affected by this work and, and how have you changed over time? I still, the anxieties are almost just as strong. You know, the hypochondria is maybe not as bad, thankfully, um, but the but the anxieties, so when I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I still feel incredibly anxious. Um, but again, that, that anxiety is diminished by the person I'm working with. Um, you know, one of the things I remember thinking when I first started working in this area and working with people who were, you know, well, at that point it was people with head neck cancer. That it, I, you know, I, I immediately gave me a realization that um, I was struck by how they carried on living, living that fulfilled, active life that Ian Hutchison had alluded to in his initial thoughts on bringing in an artist. So I realized what it let me realize is no matter what happens, 
what happens to us, we all have a far greater capacity than I think we give ourselves credit for to be able to cope with what happens. I mean, that was something I realised just by watching and by witnessing and spending time with the people I was working with. But I also think, um, you know, a great deal of the work I'm doing is is working in the sort of field of medical humanities and trying to integrate medicine into in, the arts into medicine, with the notion being that the arts are very good when it comes to kind of you know dealing with humanistic values and 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 experiences and so on and that somehow medicine is kind of especially medicine as it becomes more and more technical and more and more specialized becomes is is more deficient in these humanistic skills relational skills um i have to say that that notion always makes me flinch a little bit because i think it has a a slightly um cynical view of medicine and a slightly over idealized view of what the arts are able to contribute and i also know that whatever capacity for compassion or empathy that i may have is not because i'm an artist but because of what medicine's given me over the last 20 years from that point of view i really you know i really think you know why medicine and art i think are such a the whole notion of bringing art and medicine together in teaching, in communicating, and so on, is not because is is because we're the reason it works so well. I think is because we're we're both challenged by the similar things, um, and you know my experience of working with medicine is that medicine has has made me a much more has made me much more open to the power, the re- challenges and rewards of collaboration, of you know, the importance of maintaining a sense of curiosity, of listening, of being vulnerable. Um, medicine's made me realise that art's able to communicate things that I would never have been able to realise, that art school never taught me. And I would never have been able to realise had it not been for medicine asking me to come and work with work with it. Um, so the learning process is, is, is huge and continues. You know, it really does continue. Um, and if it wasn't to continue and if I didn't feel anxiety, then I probably shouldn't be doing it any longer, you know, really. Um, but the anxieties are still there. And I think that's it's important to have that nervousness. I'm acutely aware, you know, I still am acutely aware that often I am working with people who maybe not going through the most traumatic moments of their lives, but, are go, you know, have got a lot on their plate at the very least and and... If I aspire for nothing else, I just aspire that when people walk into my studio, they don't feel let worse than when they leave than when they came in. Frankly, that's if somebody said, what's your ambition with each picture? That's it. And then if we manage to maintain that, then all the other wonderful things that can happen percolate out of that. But really, my main aim when I'm working with somebody is to, you know, there's other things about maintaining, sustaining the sense of curiosity and listening and things like that. But, you know, but again, that is basically all geared towards that they're not, you know, when somebody leaves, they're going, they don't feel any worse than they did when they came in.
your work has focused on all sorts of different patients, different sitters with different types of uh, medical needs and different medical situations. Um, you're currently involved with patients uh, that have conditions related to Alzheimer's or dementia or some other form of mental health, uh, memory loss, that sort of thing. Um, are there any patterns you're seeing in terms of uh, sitters with particular forms of uh, medical need? And, and uh, what are you particularly exploring now as regards uh, this particular group of patients with Alzheimer's and dementia? So it's hard to talk about the sort of findings. I can kind of talk anecdotally and we're only just beginning, although it's been a two year study and we're actually coming up to the, it'll be two years in April. Um, the analysis is only just beginning. Um, so there's huge parallels with working with the patients and their partners in care to how they are using the work, how the, 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 they're able to use the work as a means of engagement to generate conversations that may not have happened otherwise, to allow both parties, the patient and the partner in care, to be able to reflect on their situation and so on. These are all things that parallel with other patient caregiver cohorts I've worked with in the past. I guess when it comes to what I hope the work is able to do, I, you know, I hope that so much when we, especially when we think of people with any kind of illness, but certainly with, um, you know, there is, you know, things like with, with conditions like dementia and Alzheimer's, there is a, there is still a stigma. There is a stigma within the community at large. Um, I remember being interested and, you know, about the notion that it's actually very hard for it's hard to recruit medical students to come and work in this field of medicine, to work with older adults. You know, so their tolerance of working with older adults on the whole is not great. The problems of being able to, for, for um, um, people working in geriatrics to be able to recruit is a problem. So we have all these challenges and that are associated with stigma negative attributes and so on and I kind of hope that the pictures are able to show in a way that isn't sugarcoating um, but show not just what doesn't work and not just the limitations and what people aren't able to do but also to be able to show the sort of richness and that sort of sense of personhood for actually for the patient and their you know I think that we often talk about as people with dementia and Alzheimer's older adults is losing that sense of personhood as the as as the condition progresses i actually think there's reason you know there's the the partners in care the loved ones can also there still is like issues there in regards to them losing their sense of feeling they're losing their sense of identity um and so on so i hope it, you know i would love if the pictures as a collection or as individual images can help to can help us to be able to rediscover or maintain and sustain that sense of personhood um, in a way that can help others in that kind of situation, but in a way that also can then inform maybe medical education and, and even physicians, even qualified physicians, um, to allow them to kind of see the richness in the work that they do. I mean, I, a great deal of um, 
the work when it comes to working within medicine, obviously we're working with students and so on, but there's huge issues around physician well-being and burnout. And, and again, I think that this is where the arts um, have abundant potential in being able to help medical students to be able to see the power and the richness of the relationships that can be garnered from doctor-patient relationships, but then also for qualified doctors to help them either maintain a sense of meaning or rediscover a sense of meaning if they've lost it. And it doesn't, you know, and as I say, this, this is something I think is applicable to the arts in all their forms, but it is something that I certainly hope that some of the pictures that I'm working on now and have done in the past, um, you know, I, that's somewhere, I think that's a, there's huge potential there for the work to, to as a way of being able to generate meanings, but rich meanings that, you know, sometimes those meanings can be challenging, but at the same time, I think it's far better to to be confronted in a, through a work of art with those challenged through a work of art, I think is, is it can be something that can be much more rewarding and, and, and can make us all more resilient as a result in, in a way that we can, you, it gives us a safe space to be able to reflect on these more challenging moments of lives. You know, so as I say, I think this is applicable when it comes to, you know, to how the pictures can impact medical professionals. But of course, as we're working on it, I'm also, when I'm working on the portraits, I also record the verbal back and forth between myself and the sitters. And I keep a detailed journal on each interaction. Um, and so we analyse not just the pictures, but these verbal um, records and the journal as well. You know, and that, that's really where we are just now. And so it's hard to be able to then, you know, be able to talk too much about the what's going to generate from that. Just now, there comes a point where I'm incredibly close to the research and incredibly close to the pictures. And then the, what happens is, is that you start to then lose perspective on it all a little bit. It becomes quite hard to talk about the work that you're doing. The wonderful thing about the analysis is that you then bring in other people to then look at it with the, their fresh perspectives. And for me, that's incredibly exciting um, because I then start to, you know, I start to see value in things that I'd missed or things that I was blind to. And so that's what we're, you know, that's the stage we're at just now with this work that we're that we're doing. Um, but again, I think, you know, that notion of just when it, that notion of sitting for your portrait, a great deal of it is just me being able to having the opportunity to sit and listen to the person who's in front of me and respond. And I don't think you can um, overemphasize how valuable that is. And as I say, there's the listening's on both sides of the easel. And, and, and for that, you know, I know how much that how much value I get from those the, the relationships, you know, and that's why so I, I think, you know, working with the people with with um, th these older adults, many with some form of dementia, you know, especially those adults that maybe are unable to communicate, that maybe they're limited in what they're able to say verbally, then, you know, sitting for the portrait, again, I think it can be something that they find that, that is purposeful. It's not asking them to do anything that's making them feel uncomfortable or self-conscious, really. Um, that notion that ultimately, not only is it just the experience of just spending time with each other, the whole relationship culminates in this tangible form, aesthetic form of the portrait, which then gives us all something to be able to reflect on. One, two, three, four. 
My guest today has been the artist and health researcher, Dr. Mark Gilbert. Our conversation today was recorded by Skype. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. This show is part one of my conversation with Mark Gilbert. Listen in next week for the second part as Mark talks about how his father drew a series of portraits of Mark's mother, Pat, in her last few days of life, including one just after her death. And Mark reflects on how his experience of relationships within his work has informed his life more broadly. That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizik. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's radio show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Live's Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>